Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome back to The Critic podcast. In this edition, our online editor, David Scullion, speaks to Christopher Howarth about the plot to remove Theresa May from office. In a real-life political thriller, the senior parliamentary researcher spills the beans for the first time about how his visit to a dying man in hospital secured a vital piece of information which led to the Prime Minister's downfall. Christopher's article is in the July issue of The Critic, which will be available in shops from Thursday. Hello and welcome to the Critic Podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Christopher Howarth, who is the ERG's senior researcher, the European Research Group of Backbench Eurosceptic uh, Conservative MPs, who helped to bring down the Prime Minister Theresa May. But Chris, you're uh, claiming in your recent article in the Critic uh, for the July issue that you uh, you had a hand, perhaps more than most. Uh, I, I know you're not. You're not claiming single-handedly to have brought her down, but but you did play a significant part, didn't you? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not, as you say, I'm, I'm not claiming that I single-handedly sort of um, ended the Theresa May premiership, but um, in the events of that time, I do believe I had a, a significant um, impact on, on, on how the events um, played out by, by being right in the centre of the by being right in the centre of it and sort of coming across some key information at the time. And it's a, it's a fascinating article. It's a bit like a, a, like a spy thriller. You've got trips to a, a hospital to meet a dying man. You, you're finding secret information out and you're uh, giving things to the press. Yes, I mean, it, it's, not, it's, not, it isn't, it's not exactly what you expect to be in the middle of when you, if you go into politics. I mean, Politics is mostly it's not the West Wing. It's not um, it's not all high drama. It's it's often replied sort of correspondence and fairly fairly mundane sort of everyday work. But um, because of the peculiar circumstances of Brexit and the group of MPs I work for, I ended up being uh, having a sort of a front row seat as these events unfolded. And as it happened in this one crucial event, um, I ended up having quite a quite a pivotal role when things, I believe, could have gone one of two ways, Chequers and Theresa May continuing as Prime Minister, or the end of Chequers and moving on to a leadership campaign. But um, as, as we were in the European Research Group, it was the research that, that got, us to, got us to understanding how, how the leadership elections worked and um, ended up with the, the final result, as, um, as I explained in the article. I googled MV3 uh, and uh, nothing came up, and I don't think anybody, unless uh, a total political anorak, is going to know what 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 MV3 means. Uh, meaningful vote three. So, 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 if you just take us a bit back to a, a few years ago, when when your uh, your group of backbench Eurosceptics were fighting hard and, and making Theresa May's life such a misery, and there was such um, such tension around Parliament, there were there were daily protests. Just take us a bit back to, to what was actually going on for, for people who who don't have it well, at the forefront of their minds. Well, throughout the period, I worked for the European Research Group of Conservative MPs who were heavily involved in Brexit and what came afterwards, the negotiations leading up to the trade agreement. So the period the period I'm focusing on is the period of Theresa May's premiership, which um, went from 2017 up until. 2019. And during that time, 
there were a number of very crunch votes in Parliament around the um, what was Theresa May's preferred deal for withdrawal from the European Union, which was called the Chequers deal. And the Chequers deal, from um, the point of view of the majority of the MPs I worked for, was an incredibly bad deal. It was, as Jacob Rees-Mogg said at the time, vassalage. It was staying in the customs union. It was staying in um, the European legal um, system in in many ways, it was staying in most of the European Union, except we would have no influence on it. So it was, people have different views on it, but it was very unpopular amongst the MPs I worked for. This um, ended up in Parliament when the deal was finally announced, and we had meaningful vote one, where the deal was defeated by the largest majority of a major piece of legislation in history. This then went on to meaningful vote two, where the government defeat was still substantial, but less than the, the, the first one. But the crunch one was meaningful vote three, which was on the same on the same issue on Theresa May's deal. But by that time, the pressure, the pressure had been brought to bear on a number of MPs who had who had switched to supporting the deal. So it was it became the mathematics became tighter and tighter. So MV3 was the, the crunch vote, the vote that was going to um, effectively decide um, Theresa May's premiership. So it was a case of, it was a case of uh, the Prime Minister, and, uh, she, has, she has this deal that's quite unpopular, but she keeps trying to push it through and the, the whips are working hard to try and persuade MPs, you know, you need to vote for this, otherwise you won't get Brexit at all. Well, what, was, uh, what was the rationale for the ERG then to just, just hold out? You know, didn't you believe them when they said there's a risk that you won't get Brexit at all because there was at the time the uh, the opposition were were legislating um, in Parliament. The, the Speaker John Burko had, had seemingly ripped up the rule book and and uh, it, it seemed likely that there wouldn't be Brexit at all. Yes, well, from the from my point of view, particularly, and I think a view shared by a lot of the MPs, that the Theresa May deal was in many senses worse than European Union membership, which most of them had campaigned against and certainly wasn't fulfilling the referendum result. And if passed, would have led to all sorts of political problems for the Conservative Party, delivering Brexit in name only. You would have a resurgent UKIP, you would have a divided, divided Conservative Party. It wouldn't solve all of the issues. In fact, it would create many more issues down the line when the EU would come forward to policies on which we had no influence and couldn't stop. I also thought that it was probably a very good um, starting point for the rejoin campaign because they could point at something that European Union membership was actually better than in many senses. So in as much as we didn't like the Chequers deal, we wanted to get rid of the Chequers deal. And it, it, it really was the, it was the issue of Chequers rather than the personality of the Prime Minister or removing the Prime Minister that motivated the group. Throughout the period, we tried as hard as possible with the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Gavin Barwell, with the Ministers, with the Prime Minister herself, saying, please amend, please change the deal, go back to the original idea, which was the Lancaster House speech of a free trade agreement with the EU. Do all of this and, and it will be it will be fine. But as, as time went on, it became very clear that um, Theresa May and the people around her were not going to budge one inch. They'd set their minds on the Chequers deal keeping it, staying in the customs union, staying in the EU's legal ambit, the way they saw things, um, it had to be um, 
it was damage limitation. They had to remain as close to the European Union as possible. And this led to led to trouble. It just so it, having sorry, Karen. So yes, yeah, so, so having failed to persuade the Prime Minister and her advisors to change the um Chequers deal, um thoughts then move to, well, if you can't move, change the policy, you have to change the person behind the policy. And this led to the first confidence vote in um, the Prime Minister, which was in December 2018, 12th of December 2018, um, which went off rather a half cock to start with. Under the Tory party rules, as they stand at the moment, you have to get 15% of the party to write a letter to the chairman of the 1922 committee. Jacob Rees-Mogg announced this, and then there was a sort of awkward moment where it, where the numbers gradually ticked up to 48, the magic 48. It didn't happen overnight. And then when this it did the, happen- this is, this is the moment when he stood, he stands outside parliament and he says, you know, this is, this is not a coup. Uh, and there was a lot of journalists gathered around and they said, look, we're gonna, you know, we tried to change the policy, but we can't do that. Now we need to change the prime minister. Yes, it was a very dramatic day. I, I was I was in the background watching this huge bank of TV cameras at the St. at the College Green sort of end of Parliament. Jacob and Steve Baker walk out and explain why they felt it necessary to say they had no confidence in the Prime Minister. Something MPs don't do very lightly. Watching the entire assembled lobby and TV cameras sort of pointing at you, it's quite a daunting sight. But um, we did that, and it started with a huge splash. But then, then um. It didn't immediately lead to a um, leadership contest, which ended up happening sometime later in December 2018. Now, the important bit about that for the rest of the story is that um, under the Conservative Party rules, as people imagined them at the time, you could only have a leadership contest once a year so if you had a leadership contest, the prime minister was then supposedly safe for a year to, to avoid sort of multiple, multiple elections. So um, at that time, the 12th of December 2018, it looked to all of the world that Theresa May had, had a year and her advisors were going to use this year to get the Chequers deal through Parliament. So you had to vote. You had the vote and the, the vote failed and she, she maintained the confidence of the, the Conservative Party. So, so in, to all intents and purposes, it looked like you'd lost. She's got a year worth of being Prime Minister left before anybody can challenge her again. And she can get this deal through because she just needs to keep uh, putting it before Parliament and, and whittle down the rebels. Yes, yeah, it looked like she, she, had, a, she had a year. And um, as, as, as time went on, this became more and more significant because we went into um, meaningful vote two, meaningful vote three, and uh, her majority, the ability for us to defeat the Chequers deal um, gradually sort of reduced down to um, a hardcore of um, what became known as the Spartan group of MPs, 28 Conservative MPs who voted against Chequers for the third time. The majority was gradually reducing, and um, looking at it at the time, I guess from from number ten's point of view, they had every hope that push it to another vote, they gradually reduce it again, and they were promising to to continue to vote on it and continue to vote on it until they got it through. And they, of course, if had until. Just, if I can just stop you there quickly, you mentioned a really fascinating moment in the uh, in a meeting before the the third meaningful vote, where you're in a 
you're in a big committee room full of MPs where you're all the ERG are trying to decide, you know, should we throw in the towel and, and vote with Theresa May? Can you just, what was that like? Explain that, that part. Yes, I mean, in the, in the European Research Group, we had we had numbers of meetings throughout this period, and the, the more interesting ones were some of the largest larger ones we held in the committee rooms on the committee corridor in Parliament, where we had all of our European Research Group of MPs and peers, because it was going through both houses. We had these these big meetings, and um, they were open effectively to all MPs, but it was it was our supporters. One particular one that was um, I mentioned in the, in the piece. And I brought along um, Sammy Wilson from the DUP, because at that point, the DUP votes were crucial to defeating the Chequers plan, the 10 DUP MPs. And it just so happened at that, that meeting that the government had decided to come along with supporters of its own to try and persuade the room to vote for Chequers. But it was quite a nerve wracking moment because the meeting started and we had a number of very senior MPs who hadn't turned up before explaining how it would be an absolute disaster if MPs didn't vote for checkers. They must vote for checkers one after another in an organized list. And toward looking, looking around to Sammy Wilson and the DUP, he looked absolutely horrified because it looked to him as if the European Research Group of MPs had all completely collapsed because, of course, he didn't know which ones, which, which ones were going to still vote against it. And uh, this was quite crucial because number 10, it seemed, was playing quite a clever game in that they were telling the European Research Group that the DUP were likely to vote for checkers, and they were telling the DUP that the ERG MPs were going to collapse and vote for the deal. And if both thought the other side was going to vote for the deal, it increased the chances that they would vote for the deal. So seeing that Sammy, was, Sammy, Sammy Wilson was... Um, Bishop was um, being persuaded that the room was moving towards voting for the deal. I had to make sure that um, he got the correct the correct um, message from our from our group. So I sent a sent a, um, a desperate WhatsApp message across to Mark Francois to come over and talk to me and Sammy. And eventually he he did. And I kept Sammy in the room. Mark came over and said, "Don't worry, don't worry. These people aren't our ones. They haven't turned up before. Don't worry. We have the numbers." Which of course he knew we had the numbers because it was well known that he was our sort of unofficial unofficial whip keeping the tally of who was going to vote for it. So um, with that reassurance, we, the DUP were reassured that it was going to get defeated, so the DUP would vote against it. That was what that was one of a number of very sort of nerve-wracking moments throughout the whole the whole process, where um, it really could have gone 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 either way. What you're saying is that, that you've, you've, you're having this big meeting to decide what to do and you've got along uh, Sammy Wilson from the DUP and, and, and Downing Street are just sending all of their stooges to come and, and make speeches to say, oh, I'd love to, I'm a big Eurosceptic, but we have to yes. vote for this deal in order yes, so to appealing, kind of... You know, voting against it would destroy the Conservative Party, would split it for a generation. What are you doing? Sort of a, all the resource appeals. Of course, as we know now, um, it was the exact opposite of the truth because the Conservative Party now is quite united, whereas under Chequers it was completely divided and would have remained so if Chequers had gone through. So um, these 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 warnings from the whips at the time, I I thought it was um, I I thought it was quite quite um, 
quite quite entertaining even that number 10 had thought it thought it important to send people along to um, our meetings to um, to do this but um the dynamic with the dup was was um, was very important because along with a lot of mps you you rebel against rebelling against your party is not something you particularly want to do and you're only likely to do it if you know you're going to succeed therefore it was very important for our, our mps to know that we had the numbers if they voted against it and that included the dup mps and likewise for labor rebels who were like who were thinking of voting against jeremy corbyn to um vote for checkers they weren't going to do it unless they thought they were going to win so it was keeping the confidence of all of these groups was very important throughout the throughout the period but you so at this point though this is the third time that the vote goes through parliament and a lot of uh eurosceptic mps in the conservative party have have eventually started uh backing the government reluctantly um so you couldn't carry on forever, could you? Because then there was this understanding then that the Theresa May safe for a year. She's had her confidence vote. She can't be challenged again. And that's yes. that's kind of where that's kind of where you came in, isn't it? I mean, because you um, you went and did something off your own, off your own back, uh, which kind of changed that perception. Yes. So the, the 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 way I saw it at the time, and I think the way people like Gavin Barwell, the Prime Minister's chief of staff, saw it was they were they were safe until December 2019, Theresa May was safe in number 10. They had as much time as they liked to um, push through the deal. They controlled the negotiations and they knew Parliament disliked no deal. Therefore, put checkers against no deal, checkers against no deal, gradually gradually sort of um, wear, it, wear, wear people down, buy off a few MPs, hopefully get the DUP over, as, as I explained. Try and get some more Labour rebels, and it was a, it was a, it could easily have worked. I mean, it, it was they decreased the vote on each one, as long as the speaker allowed them to keep voting on it, which he, which no doubt he would. They could continue to um, gradually reduce it until they got it through. This was a, this was a strategic problem, which got me thinking as to exactly what these rules meant, and I, the first port of call was obviously to um, find out. What the what the rules said on the question of the twelve month sort of grace period for for the the prime minister. So I, the obvious thing to do is to ask the Commons Library, who didn't have a copy, which um, which um, raised my suspicions. I asked an MPs on the executive of the twenty two committee to ask the chairman for a copy, and no copy was forthcoming. And at that point, I got very suspicious as to exactly what was going on. So just, then, just to stop you there, so these are the rules, these are the, the rules of the 1922 committee, the, the group of backbench Conservative MPs which have power over uh, elections in the Conservative Party, and everyone assumes that there's this uh, there's this rule which says you can't challenge the leader. Um, yes. Challenge the these, these, and you're finding that yeah. actually, I can't find any, I can't find any I yes, the, the, the remarkable thing was that there was no copy anywhere. The, the Commons Library had no copy. The members of the executive had no copy. There was no publicly available copy. There were just reports and a sort of a folk memory of what were in it. And part of the folk memory was that the Prime Minister was safe for 12 months. But it was it was not written down anywhere, which got my mainly very suspicious. And so going into the history, I mean, in the history of it, back in the past, there were no rules and Conservative Party's leaders emerged. Then there were the rules, which most of the the, um, the lobby still thought existed with stalking horses and different rounds and remembering the sort of the downfall of Margaret Thatcher and the rules. 
those had all been superseded because when then William Hague became leader, they decided to reform the leadership um, rules. And digging into it a bit, a bit, it became the solution to this problem became very obvious to me because looking into the history of it all, Archie Hamilton, who was a then chairman of the 22 committee, and Michael Spicer, a then the also a chairman of the 22 committee in that period, were both members of the European Research Group. In fact, Lord Spicer, Michael Spicer, who became Lord Spicer, had in fact founded the European Research Group. So the, the obvious fact dawned on me that we have the two authors of these rules turned up to our meetings, which, which um, I, I, went to, I went to have a talk with Lord Spicer to find out exactly what the situation was. And um, we managed to get hold of a copy of the, the exact rules. In fact, it was the only copy of the rules outside of Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 22 committee's desk. And um, it became very clear that this was incredibly, incredibly important document because it was very obvious that the rules could easily be changed by the 22 committee itself. So there was no... So Lord Spicer, so you thought, you thought what no one else thought, you thought, hang on, let's actually find a copy of these rules. And you found uh, Michael Spicer, Lord Spicer, but he, he was in hospital at the time, wasn't he, when you, you went to find him? Yes, I mean, I spoke to him on the phone. I hadn't realised... Um, how ill he actually was. I mean, he sadly died later during the 2019 general election. But at the time, I mean, I'd known him for a long time because he 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 had founded the group and had a was a sort had a sort of paternal interest in the group. He rang up quite often to find out what was going on and turned up to our meetings even when he was very ill. Um, sort of during this period, so I'm, I had a chat with him. We managed to find a copy of the the rules. And uh, we came up with an idea that it couldn't look as if the European Research Group were trying to change the leadership of the Conservative Party, but he was the former chairman who had written the rules. So um, we, we, we um, decided that um, I'd draft an article for the Telegraph from him and Archie Hamilton, the two most, the two only former chairman of the committee, of the 22 committee, explaining to MPs in a simple manner that the leadership of the party was their responsibility. The, the rules were not supposed to get in the way or create a logjam. If they needed to change them, they could be changed. And we went ahead with this, and um, the article was published, I think, on the 14th of April, 2019. And um, I believe it was it was met with shock in number 10, because their plan, based on this 12-month period, suddenly collapsed you have the two people who wrote the rules saying, well, the 12 month period can easily be changed. And it came as a, came to the, the people on the executive of the 22 committee who believed they weren't, they, they weren't able to change the rules, suddenly realized they could. And things started to move very quickly at that point. Because um, when, you, when you saw the, you, so you got a copy of the rules and the rules did say that the prime minister is safe for another 12 months after a confidence vote. But they also said these rules can be changed by Yes, and they could be changed very simply. If the executive committee wanted to change the rules, they could change it. And the, the responsibility of the executive committee was effectively the leadership of the Conservative Party. Um, it, and the, the rules were created for a particular purpose, which was to stop multiple elections, frivolous elections. This definitely was not a frivolous election because the party was in deadlock. In fact, Parliament was in deadlock. But in the entire sort of the UK was the whole whole relationship with Europe was in a deadlock. 
something had to be done and this was the 1922 committee's sort of responsibility so having having gone to see lord spicer he was um he, he was of the he was of the strong view that something needed to be done and um we um the his article was i believe the thing that unblocked the unblocked the problem and led very quickly to the 22 committee deciding to act which led to um um in time to the trees the resignation of trees may because um, number 10 no longer had its game plan they could not continue to vote for checkers because the party would not put up with it and had the means at their disposal to um, to uh, to change the leader so I, in, in my own small way if if we hadn't come up with the uh, discovering the rules and explaining the rules to to the mps via the via the means of the article in the telegraph i I think the logjam would have continued and we would have been in the danger of multiple more votes in parliament um, more more sort of um the pressure would have gone up the party would have been split and we'd have ended up in a um the checkers deal ratified which would have been in my view a total disaster for britain because it was as as people said at the time it was vassalage every time a eu policy we disagreed with came up we could do absolutely nothing about it so um, I, I think, think it was uh, uh, yeah I, th I think it's hard to it's, it's hard not to over it's hard not to over um state the the, the danger to the conservative party because remember there were, there were general election polls at the time that put the brexit party uh on top and the lib dem second which is which was just extraordinary i mean it, it really would have yes and um, the conservative party in the european elections um the conservative party did one of went one of the worst results in its in its in its history. I mean, it was it was quite remarkable. I mean, you had the Conservative Party and was being destroyed in the opinion polls. You had a resurgent um, um, UKIP. Um, it was a it was a very bad time for the for the for the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party was fundamentally split on the issue, and there was there was no obvious the, the um, number tens plan, if you can call it a plan, was basically to bulldozer on change not a dot or comma of the checkers deal bulldozer us into a situation where we remained in the eu's customs union accepting their rules and probably then set it up for a rejoining the eu in the future which would have been a um, been a dreadful um, result for the majority of the country that had actually voted to leave the eu and had voted for Theresa may's government on the basis that it was going to deliver the referendum result I mean, destroyed trust in in politicians in parliament destroyed trust in the conservative party um, i think it was a very near miss for the conservative party um but uh, as 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 it happened i mean going to see lord spicer as he was then in in hospital i mean i i did ponder i did ponder at the time on the significance of what we were trying to do but um, i didn't hesitate for a moment because i saw no other option i think and, um, there's, a, there's a fascinating uh, line in your piece where you say that um he told his nurse that 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 you were there to save the country. No, no, no. His nurse, Michael Spicer, had told had told his nurse. I, I walked in in a quite an unassuming manner with the sort of getting out the paperwork, and Lord Spicer, I think he, um, who was obviously he was very ill by that point, he was in the Cromwell Road Hospital um, in Kensington, and he leant over to the nurse who was just who was just finishing with him and said said this young man is here to save the country at which point i sort of 
figuratively blushed and sort of didn't uh, sort of the nurse looked over quizzically to me and sort of smiled and uh, sort of left but um it did occur to me i suppose there was a was a small element of an element of of truth to that i mean it's not very often in in politics that you have a you you're actually you're actually there at a sort of a pivotal pivotal moment in in events but uh, i was aware at the time that that was potentially one of them yeah. and when you um when you look at the, the the recent trade deal that's um, just been signed between britain and australia and when you look at some of the things that britain's done outside uh, the eu like the success of the vaccine rollout um do you, do you do you look back to this moment and think you know i had a i had a small hand in this yes because i mean of course if we had stayed in the checkers deal i mean the conservative party in my view would have been very much down in the opinion polls and re-election might have been might have been a, might have been an issue but in the checkers deal um Theresa may staying in power until december 2019 ratified we would have no trade policy there would be no deals with australia or asia no trade deals on the on the cards everything we had to do would be at the permission of the eu all of our regulations on goods and agriculture this would all have been made in brussels if Australia wanted to do a trade deal with the UK, they would have to go to Brussels first to find out what our rules were going to be. They would negotiate it via Brussels. And it would have been, it would have been humiliating, in my view, for, for the UK. And being a member of the EU would probably have been better, which I thought that may have crossed the mind of some of the people who, who came up with the came up with the idea. So yes, um, the fact that Brexit is um the successes of Brexit so far, none of these would have been possible, and we avoided we avoided a trap, which I think was the worst of both worlds, um, not in the EU, but with no influence and with all of the all of the regulation. It would have been, I think, it would have been a it would have been a disaster for the country. I'm, I'm, in my own small way, I'm quite pleased we managed to avoid that. Mm. Well, thank you uh, so much for talking to me. I'm afraid that is that is all we've got time for. But it's a, it's a fascinating article. And I do really encourage um, everyone to, to to go out and read it. Thank you very much, Christopher Howard. Yeah, well, thank you very much for, uh, for inviting me on. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today to the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.